Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Psalm 136. Psalm 136. I'll not be reading the entire psalm today, but we'll read a few verses, and the rest of the verses we'll be looking at during the message. Psalm 136, follow in your Bibles as I read verses 1 through 9, and then the last two verses of the psalm. O give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. O give thanks unto the God of gods, for his mercy endureth forever. O give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his mercy endureth forever. To him who alone doeth great wonders, for his mercy endureth forever. To him that by wisdom made the heavens, for his mercy endureth forever. To him that stretched out the earth above the waters, for his mercy endureth forever. To him that made great lights, for his mercy endureth forever. The sun to rule by day, for his mercy endureth forever. The moon and stars to rule by night, for his mercy endureth forever. And then go down to verse 25. Who giveth food to all flesh, for his mercy endureth forever. O give thanks unto the God of heaven, for his mercy endureth forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for your mercy. Thank you for your goodness. And I pray, Lord, that you would remind us of, your, of who you are today and how much we need to be thankful for. I ask, Lord, that you might minister to our hearts, convict us as Christians for sometimes worrying and fretting when we should just be trusting and thanking you. Lord, I pray that you might speak to the heart of that person who might be here today who's never yet trusted Jesus. I pray that today will be the day that they put their faith in you, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. During this Thanksgiving, I imagine that all of us have expressed thanks to God for things that he has given us. We've been thankful for our families, for friends, for food, for our freedom. And I'm sure that you've thanked God for your salvation, for possessions that he gives you, and for your health. But how many of us have been thankful for God himself? So many times we thank the Lord for the things he gives us, but we fail to thank God for him and for who he is. How would you feel as a parent if your child never expressed love to you, but always expressed love for the things that you give them? For example, I, lo I love the toy that you gave me, Dad. I love that little truck that you gave me. I love that new bicycle you gave me. I love that new video game you gave me. Or, Mom, I really love that thing that you fixed for me. But if you never heard them say, Dad, Mom, I love you. Without anything else mentioned, I love you. Don't you think God wants to hear that as well? Don't you think the Lord, and we're his children, want us to be thankful not just for the things that we get from him, but be thankful for him? That's what I want us to do today. I want us to remind ourselves that we have a thank-worthy God. He is worthy of our thanks because of who he is. Let's talk about this morning. Thank God because of who he is. God is thank-worthy because of who he is. Well, for, let's talk about who God is. First of all, God is great. God is a great God. Psalm 48, verse 1 says, Great is the Lord, and greatly do be praised. With no mention of what he gives us. Great is the Lord, and greatly do be praised. We serve a great God. 
When you think of the greatness of God, you think of the fact that God is self-existent. That means, remember he says, I am that I am. God doesn't depend on anybody else for his, his being. Uh, he didn't come from anybody. Nobody produced him. He always has been, always will be. He is an eternal God who's always existed. He is actually the very fountain of life. Your life came from him. All life comes from him. God's the source of life. He always has been alive, and he's the source of life. He's self-existent. He doesn't depend on anybody else. The Bible says in Psalm 36, verse 9, For with thee is the fountain of life. Jeremiah 2, verse 13 says, Thou, They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. Speaking of Israel that rebelled against the Lord. He is not only self-existent, he's also eternal. That means, as I said, he has always existed. Psalm 92, verse 2, Thou, from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Isaiah 9, verse 6, he's the everlasting Father. 1 Timothy 1, 17, Now unto the King eternal. Now unto the King eternal. He's always been King. And so the Lord is eternal. He's also immutable. That means he, he never changes. Now, sometimes the Bible says God repented of something. That meant God was intending to do something, but because people changed their attitude or their response to God, God said, all right, I won't do that. Now, God didn't change. He's always been a merciful God, a gracious God, a kind God, a holy God. He didn't change himself, but he changed his actions because of people's actions. And so, but God is an unchanging God. The Bible says in Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, For I am the Lord, I change not. Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the eternal God. He is also omnipresent. That means he's everywhere. We found out recently, we heard recently when we talked about Jonah, that Jonah learned that lesson. You can't get away from God. No matter where you go, God is, and so he's omnipresent. The Bible says in Isaiah 57, he even, even inhabited the eternity. He says, I dwell in the high and holy place. So he inhabits heaven, he inhabits eternity, he inhabits everywhere. And so the Lord is omnipresent. He's also omniscient. That means he's all-powerful. He can do anything. Matthew 10, verse 30 says, says of, the, of the Lord that he, is, um, that he is all... That's the wrong passage. He's omniscient or omnipotent. That means he's all-powerful. And Job 40 says, thou canst do everything. And Jeremiah 32, verse 17 says, there's nothing too hard for thee. And then in the, in the book of, of Revelation, chapter 19, verse 6, it says, the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. He is all-powerful. But he's also omniscient. He knows everything. There's nothing that God does not know. When you thank the Lord for who he is, are you glad that he knows everything? Now, when you think about your sin, you say, well, I don't know. I'm glad he knows about that, but really, you should be. God knows about everything about you, and still he loves you. And so he's an all-knowing God. The Bible says the very hairs of our head are all numbered. The Lord knows all the details about us. Matthew 6, verse 8 says, Your Father knoweth what things you have need of before you ask. So you go to ask the Lord for something. It's not like you informing God of something that he doesn't know. But he says, I want you to ask. And you have not because you ask not. But God says, I know what you need of before you even ask me to know that. So God knows everything. 
Aren't you glad we serve a great God? But our great God is not only a great God, as I pointed out once recently in a, in a, in a message not too long ago, uh, it, it would be frightening if our God was just a great God and he wasn't also a good God. You see, the great God who knows everything is all-powerful and all of that, he is also a good God. And the Bible says that God is good. Let me speak of the, of the goodness of God. First of all, he's holy. That means that he's set apart from all others. The word holy, the root idea, is set apart. So God is set apart from all others. He's set apart, separated from all of his created, all of his creation. Everything upon the earth, he's set apart from that. He's, he's uh, outside looking down. He made us, but he's, he's set apart. He's, there's nobody like him. There's no one like the Lord, and he's set apart. But not only is he set apart in that way, he's set apart from all evil, all immorality. God is a holy God. He is pure. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15 says, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. God wants us to be holy because he is holy. The Bible also says in Isaiah 66, verse 3 and verse 5, you remember the seraphim says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He's holy is the Lord of hosts, it actually says. And then Isaiah's response, because he's holy, he says, Woe is me. Now, if you've ever never come to that place, then you've never come to repentance. Because knowing God is holy, that's one of the first things you need to do is recognize who he is and he doesn't approve of your sin. He's not going to wink at it. He's not going to let you go to heaven just because you're better than somebody else. Every one of us deserve to go to hell, myself included. And God is holy. And so Isaiah's response to the holiness of God was, woe is me. And that's what a person does when he comes to that realization and he truly repents, he says, Lord, I'm a sinner. And he doesn't make any excuses. He comes as a sinner, but then he believes that Jesus died for him on the cross of Calvary. That's, that's what you need to do in order to be saved, is repent and believe the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But God is a holy God. He's also good in that he's true. There's no falsehood in God. There's no deception in God. There's nothing that God does to try to, to deceive you. The Lord is true. He's a true God. He is, he, there's no falsehood at all in him. John chapter 17, verse 3, he says, he's the only true God. John 14, verse 6, I am the way, and sometimes we forget this, Jesus says, I am the way, but he also says, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. Jesus is true, and so God is a true God. But God is not only holy and true, he's also a good God in that he's the God of love. The Bible says God so loved us that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You see, you can go to heaven because a God in heaven loved you even though you were a sinner and wants to be your savior and he sent his son to die for you on the cross of Calvary and he paid that price on the cross and he rose from the grave on the third day and he's paid it all. He wants to save you because he loves you. And so God is a God of love. Isn't it good to know that the great God and all his power and all his might and all his wisdom loves us? I mean, it would be frightening to know that uh, a great God like that didn't love, but he does. He loves us. He's also faithful. 
Wow, he's a good God. Deuteronomy 7, verse 9 says, The Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant. He is a faithful God. He keeps covenant. Hebrews 10, verse 23 says, He is faithful that promised. And so the Lord will never fail you. He'll never promise something that he won't fulfill. He always keeps his promises. He is faithful. And so when we think about God, we should say, Lord, I'm glad of who you are. You're a great God, but you're a good God. And so we think about God and all that, he, all that he is, and we praise him for that. Also, God is thankworthy because of what he has done in the past. God's thankworthy because of what he's done in the past. Let's look at some of those things he's done in the past. The psalm that we read speaks of creation, how he made the sun and the moon and the stars and all those things, and how he established the earth. The Bible says that he created the heaven and the earth and all that in them is, Exodus 20, verse 11. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is. That's the only verse you need to know if you believe the Bible to know that evolution is a big, bold lie. It's a lie. There's nothing true about it. None, nothing whatsoever is true about evolution the theory, the teaching of evolution. Because the Bible says in six days, God created the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all that in them is, everything. That includes the angels. In six days, God made everything. And so none of these long periods of time or anything like that. No, God is, we should be thankful to God for who he is because of what he's done in the past. And that is he created the heavens and the earth. He also delivered his people Israel. There's the passage we did not, or the verses we did not read talk about that. Beginning verse 10 in Psalm 136, it says this, To him that smote Egypt and their firstborn, for his mercy endureth forever. Now we'll read just the first part of the verses from here on. And brought out Israel, in verse 12, with a strong hand to him which divided the Red Sea into parts and made Israel to pass through, but, but overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, to him which led his people through the wilderness, to him which smote great kings to, and slew famous kin, kings, Sihon, king of the Ammonites, and Og, king of Bashan, and gave their land for inheritance, even an heritage unto Israel his servant. God did all this. And we should thank the Lord. We serve a God who's great and good and has done wonderful things in the past. I mean, he created the heavens and the earth, and then he had the children of Israel as a special people for him, and he delivered them from Egypt. What a wonderful story of what he did in delivering them. And God did that. We can thank the Lord. He is a thankworthy God because of what he's done in the past. But then in relation to us, there's nothing more important than his past work than what he did on the cross of Calvary. And that is, on the cross of Calvary, he shed his blood for our sins. You see, the Bible tells us, tells us that in order for us to go to heaven, you must know about this event that took place almost 2,000 years ago. And that's what happened on the cross of Calvary. Christmas is coming up, and Christmas, what's Christmas about? It's about the coming of Jesus, <laughs> Who is Jesus? He's the Son of God who eternally existed with God the Father and the Holy Spirit. He eternally existed, 
But God the Father saw fit to send His Son to this earth and that He would take upon Himself human form. He would become a man and yet without sin. He was the God-man. And so Jesus, born there on, in, at, at Bethlehem, was God becoming flesh, becoming the God-man so that He might take our place on the cross of Calvary. And what happened on the cross was that Jesus, hanging there as our substitute, took the wrath of God. And he cried out to God, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's what you and I both deserve. All of us deserve. is to go to hell and be forsaken by God. And Jesus experienced that. Why hast thou forsaken me? And uh, he was experiencing the wrath of God poured down on him, like Isaiah 53, 6 says. All our iniquity was laid on him. And he died and suffered for us on the cross of Calvary. And then the Bible says he rose from the grave on the third day as proof that it was all paid for. Aren't you glad of that? All your sins, past, present, and future, were all future when Jesus died. And he knew about that. He knew about what you were going to do from birth to death, and he says, I'm going to pay for that. And he did. You don't have to go to hell. You can go to heaven. How? By being good? No, that won't even help. By joining the church, no, that won't help either. By being baptized, that won't help. By taking communion, that won't help. How are you going to get to heaven then? You just have to put your faith and trust in what Jesus did for you almost 2,000 years ago on the cross of Calvary. And that is he paid for all of your sin. In a matter of time, he paid it all. So if you don't accept him as the payment for your sin then you're going to have to pay for it for eternity in hell, and you'll never get it paid for. It'll go on and on and on for eternity. You'll never get it paid for. So you have the choice. I can pay for it myself because I rejected the payment that was made, or I can accept the payment that was made and rely upon that completely to get me to heaven. And that's why I'm going to heaven. I'm relying on what Jesus did for me on the cross of Calvary. I tell you, we serve a great God. And we should be, he's thankworthy because of what he's done in the past. But also God is thankworthy because of what he's doing in the present. What's he doing in the present? Well, he's holding the universe together. The Bible says in Colossians 1.17, he's before all things and by him all things consist. Hebrews 1.3 says, upholding all things by the word of his power. Have you ever thought about, you know, we're sitting on this earth, <laughs> the sun comes up in the morning, and that's where it looks, <laughs> and then we see the moon at night, and every day, every day it's a continuation of that cycle, and when, if the clouds are there and we don't see the moon at night, we know it's up there. <laughs> Why is that? Because God, Jesus Christ, holds everything together. Can you imagine what it would be like if things would go haywire? If things will go haywire and the plants will start running into each other and, and uh, oh my, here comes the sun, we're going to burn up. It would be an awful thing. What keeps that from happening? What keeps it working like clockwork? In fact, we set our clocks by it. What keeps it working like that? Jesus Christ, he holds all things together. So what's he doing in the present? He's holding all things together. Also, he is saving those who believe the gospel. Aren't you glad of that? 
I remember when he saved me, it's still fresh in my memory. I can remember that day when I pulled in the parking lot at Emmanuel Baptist Church in Xenia, Ohio, and for the first time in nine years, I was going to admit to somebody that I, I, this preacher boy, this religious guy was lost and I wasn't saved. And I walked into that pastor's study and opened that door and I started crying. I'd never told anybody about all these terrible doubts and that I really hadn't trusted Jesus, but that day he saved me. I'll, I'll never forget it. He saved me. Aren't you glad of that? He's still doing that. So the things he's doing, the presence. Uh, not long ago, Don and Sylvia trusted the Lord as their Savior in the home. Praise the Lord. And other people have been saved. And the other night at, um, at the rest home, a lady by the name of Linda Goss, I was going around talking to people afterwards, and she said, can I talk to you a minute? I said, sure. And so she started telling me about her doubts and her fears and everything, and she came to know Jesus as her personal Savior. Well, that's wonderful. <laughs> you can thank the Lord for what he's doing in the present, and he's still saving souls, and he'll still do that for you today if you've not been saved. He's building his church. What's he doing today? He's building his church. Jesus said to Peter, Thou art Peter upon this rock, that is the rock, that profession he made. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Upon this rock, I will build my church. And that's what he's doing today. And when you trusted the Lord as your Savior, he put you in his church. He made you a part of his church. And then locally, we're meeting together in different places, you know, where people meet together, a local assembly of people in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God puts you in his church, his body, when you trust the Lord as your Savior. He's still doing that. And when that last person that's being to be in the church is put in the church, then the trumpet will sound and Jesus will come back to get his church. But he's building his church right now. Upon this rock, I'll build my church. He's providing for and using his people as his servants today. God's providing all of your needs. And Philippians 4.19 is a, is a promise to Christians who are obeying the Lord and says, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And God is supplying our needs. Aren't you glad of that? All of you are probably well fed. All of you probably have somewhere to stay. I mean, God's good to us. God's good to us. And we have health so we can be here today. God's providing for us. And he's using us as his servants. The Bible says in, in uh, Romans 6, verse 22, and now being made free from sin and become servants to God. When you got saved, you became a servant. And God's still adding people to the church, and he's still uh, adding servants, and we're he's using us to serve him in this earth, and he's providing our needs while he's doing that. He's also right now still answering prayer. The Bible says in Matthew 7, verse 7, and it's, and ask, and it shall be given unto you. That means he's interceding for us in heaven, and he's answering prayer. So you can go to the Lord as a Christian any time, and you can pray. And you can say, Lord, I don't feel well today. Please help me get done what I need to do. Or you can say, Lord, Mom or Dad's not feeling well today. Would you help them? Or you can say, Lord, I've got a grandson like we do. It's over in Qatar right now. But over there, many miles away, we can say, Lord, help Jonah. And God hears that. And we've got that little granddaughter. You know, I say little granddaughter because she's small in stature. And, but she's in boot camp for the Marines. Boy, she needs the Lord's help, doesn't she? 
Well, you can pray and ask her as I do every day. The Lord would take care of her. You see, God's still answering prayers. And you have that loved one that doesn't know Jesus, and you pray about that. God's still interceding. God's still answering prayers. What's he doing today? Well, that's one of the things. He's also working all things together for good to those that love the Lord. I mean, you, so you have a bad day, and you, have, and you say, Lord, I know that you're working this together for good. It's not good news. I don't like what happens, and, but Lord, I know that you can work this together for good, and I pray you will. And God promises he will. He says, we know that all things work together for good to those that love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose, Romans 8, 28. So what's he doing today? He's working things together for good to those that love him. Also, he's preparing a place for us. You remember John 14, let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. What's Jesus doing today for you? Well, answering prayer, he's all these things we've mentioned, but he's also preparing a place for you. Now, what does that involve? I don't know. I don't know, and you don't either. <laughs> but I know this, it's happening because he said that. I'm preparing a place for you. And so I'm, I'm glad of that. God's a thankworthy God because of what he's doing in the present, but also he's a thankworthy God because of what he's going to do in the future. Let's think about some of those things. He will return to take us home to be with him. And the Lord says he's going to do that. John 14, if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you into myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And so I think that's a reference to the rapture. Jesus is coming back. Now, if you don't make it to the rapture and you get to heaven before we do because you, you, you died, the Lord says you'll be absent from the body and present with the Lord. That will be great. But uh, what's God, God going to do in the future? Well, in the future, he's coming back for, for the church. Now, it could happen today. When you look at the world scene and all that's happening, I mean, there's a lot of things going on. And uh, Jenny told me the other day, she said, Dad, I don't know what's going on, but uh, Jonah told me there's some of the things he's heard. It's, it's, it's bad all over the world. Well, I don't know what all is going on. I know some of the things going on, but I know this. God knows it all. And God might, is setting the stage, and I'm not sure when it's going to be. It could be tonight, it could be tomorrow, it could be soon. We don't know. But he's setting the stage that he's coming back, and he's going to rapture us and take us home. And so that's going to happen. Then when he does that, he's going to change our bodies. The Bible says in, John, in 1 Corinthians 15, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. <laughs> Some people, you know, put that on nursery. Uh, on the nursery, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. That's not what it means. <laughs> but it means this. The Lord's coming back, and when he does, he's going to change our bodies. And all of you out there are going to be brand new young <laughs> forever and ever. And when we see you after the rapture, we'll look over and say, is that brother so-and-so? Yes, that's him. Young. Is that sister so-and-so? Yes, that's her, forever young. The Lord's going to give us a brand new body. No more aches, no more pains, no more doctors, none of that, because we'll have a brand new body. We're going to have victory over enemies, final victory. The Bible says in Revelation 19, and the armies which in heaven followed him as he came on the white horse, and we're following him on the other white horses, 
and we're coming with the Lord, what's he going to do? At the end of the tribulation period, he's going to destroy all of his enemies so he can set up his millennial reign on this earth for 1,000 years, but he'll start it off with no enemies, no unbelievers. Everybody that starts off in that millennial reign of Christ will be believers. Now, they're going to have children. They're going to populate the earth, and some of those will turn out to be unbelievers later, but it's going to start that way. He's going to destroy all of his enemies and set up his kingdom on this earth for for 1,000 years. And then following that 1,000 years, he's going to destroy his enemies, again, because they're going to have a rebellion. He'll destroy them. And the Bible says that he'll cast the devil, our arch enemy, in the lake of fire forever and ever and ever. I mean, that enough is, is, is a reason to be thankful to the Lord for what he's going to do in the future. He's going to destroy the devil someday. And thank the Lord for that. And then also, the Bible says, of course, concerning that millennial reign, that we're going to be able to rule and reign with him. Now, we, all of us who know Jesus as our Savior, when that time comes... We're going to have glorified bodies because none of you will enter into the millennial kingdom with a, with a mortal body. You'll all have glorified bodies. If you know Jesus as your Savior, you'll have a glorified body. And you will be one of God's ministers ruling and reigning with him for 1,000 years on this whole earth. Jesus will be king in Jerusalem, and we will help him rule. I mean, that's wonderful. When you're going through troubles and trials, remember, hey, Reigning time is coming. I'm, I'm going to rule and reign with Jesus for a thousand years. And then after that's over, what's going to happen? He's going to destroy this present earth and, and, and present heaven, and he's going to make a brand new one, and he says we're going to be servants of him there as well, and we'll begin to enjoy the gates of pearl and the walls of jasper and the streets of gold and all of that and the brand new earth that, that new that uh, New Jerusalem is going to sit on and maybe access to the brand new heaven. I don't know what all's out in the future, but I know this. I'm going to be there, and you are too, if you know Jesus as your Savior. I mean, that's why the Lord says the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Yes, it's going to get, get better than it's ever been before. We have a thankworthy God. Our God is thankworthy because of who he is because of what he's done, because of what he is doing and what he will do. He is thankworthy. He's worthy of our thanks regardless of what kind of day we're having. Remember that. Regardless of what kind of day you're having. Let me paint you a picture. Let's say you wake up with a headache in the morning. You still get ready for work and leave on time, but on the way to work you have a flat tire and you have to change it. It took you 25 minutes. After you get the the tire changed, you're back on the road and you hit traffic because of an accident and that delays you for another 30 minutes. You finally arrive at work and find a parking place in the very back of the parking lot. As you're going through the door at work, one hour late, your phone rings and it's your wife. She is crying and she says your little daughter Sally has a fever of 104 degrees. She tried to take Sally to the doctor, but her car battery was dead and she couldn't get it started. She asked if you could please come home and take Sally to the doctor. You try to stay calm and assure that everything is going to be all right, and you promise her that you will come home as soon as you uh, explain to your boss why you're late and why you must leave. 
you go into work and find that your boss is out sick and has left a long list of things for you to do and that must be done before, while he's out. You assure your boss's boss that you will be back soon, but you have to go take care of your sick child and take her to the doctor. You drive home and are met by a distraught wife and a crying child. Everyone gets into the car and heads to the doctor. As you carry your daughter, doctor in, as you carry your daughter into the doctor's office, you trip on the floor mat, drop your do- daughter, and fall flat, fat on your, flat on your face forward, and you break your nose, and your nose is bleeding profusely. Have you ever had a day like that? <laughs> it sounds like one of those Murphy Law day, Murphy's Law day, you know. Murphy's Law says that anything that can go wrong does go wrong. But you know, the truth of it is, a Christian never has a Murphy's Law day. Never. Why? Because of God. <laughs> I mean, things can go bad. Things can, it seems like everything that could go bad does go bad, but I'll guarantee you God doesn't go bad. And you don't have a Murphy Law Day as a Christian because, God, because of our God. He is always good. His mercies endure forever. When circumstances are going wrong, we can be assured that God is never wrong. He is always faithful. He never makes a mistake. He always loves us, and he will always be working things together for good in our life, regardless how bad it seems at the present. Our God is a thankworthy God. That's why the Bible says in Psalm 136, O give thanks to the Lord for his good, his mercy endureth forever. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, Rejoice in the Lord when? Always. And again, I say rejoice. Even during those bad days when it seems like a Murphy Law day, but it's really not, the Lord says rejoice in the Lord always. He's a thankworthy God. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, rejoice evermore in everything give thanks. James 1, verse 2, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers, that is various temptations. Matthew Henry, some of you know of him, I mean, he's not living today, of course, but he's been dead a long time. But he wrote a Bible commentary that people have used for, many, for a long, long time. Matthew Henry it said one time he was robbed one day. And he went home that evening, and he wrote down in his diary these words. Let me be thankful. First, because I was never robbed before. Second, because although they took my wallet, they did not take my life. Third, because although they took my all, it was not much. (laughs) And fourth, because it was I who was robbed and not I who robbed. (laughs) That's some things to be thankful for, isn't it? (laughs) Even in the midst of a bad day. You see, God has a purpose for all things. Job experienced many trials that would make most people give up. But God recorded his story, and it's been an encouragement to, for thousands and probably millions of people down through the years because of Job's trials. Why would, let jo- why would God let Job, his servant, his best servant, go through something like that? He had a purpose. The man who was born blind and, born blind and sat and begged for years, his infirmity was permitted by God so that he could later be healed by Jesus and manifest the works of God. You remember they asked, uh, Lord, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his parents' sins or his sins? And God says, neither one. 
It was for my glory. I was reading the other day in Acts chapter 4 about the man who was crippled, and the Lord met him and healed him. He'd been crippled from his mother's birth, from his birth, when his mother gave him birth. And then later, the Bible says he was about 40 years old. So 40 years old, he put up with being a cripple and couldn't get around, and then the Lord healed him. Why would God let him do that? Why would God let evil like that happen in his life? Because God had a purpose. And you know, I'd never noticed it before. I guess I just never put the two together. But you know one of the greatest purposes of that was? They were preaching after that, and 5,000 people got saved. 5,000 people. You see, God's glory is more important than our comfort. And by the way, our sufferings will someday also bring us glory. The Bible says in Romans 8, verse 18, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. You see, the only way we can do, as Paul said, and everything give thanks, is to believe that God is working in every detail of our lives. He has a purpose. He has a plan. We can trust him. We must look past the circumstances and look to Jesus. He is thankworthy. And we can always rejoice that we have a thankworthy God. I'd like to close with a personal illustration. As you know, we have a little grandson. He's pretty special to us and probably more special to my wife. I mean, she lights up when he comes around. But years ago, when our kids were growing up, I developed a little rhyme that I did with the kids. You've all heard the thing about giddy up horsey and all this. And I looked it up online, and they had these different giddy up horsey things. But I made one up for the kids that I've used for many years. And it goes like this. Giddy up horsey down to town. Watch out, horsey, don't fall down. As you go around the street, watch out, horsey, what you meet. Please don't fall down on the road. If you do, you'll lose your load little rhyme, but the kids have enjoyed it. Ryder really enjoys it. And he'll get up on my lap, you know, I'll put my knees together and he'll sit straddle my knees and I'll say, giddy up, horsey, down to town. And what he does, he'll look. And he'll look for Nana. And he'll, when he sees Nana, he starts smiling because Nana's going to watch him fall. <laughs> And he goes, giddy up, horsey, down to town. Watch out, horsey, don't fall down as you go around the street. Watch out, horsey, what you meet. And I'll stop, and he'll grin real big, and I'll say, what you meet? Please don't fall down on the road. If you do, you'll lose your, and I'll open my knees and let him go down, but I have a hold of him. He never really falls because I have a hold of him. What's he know? He knows a fall's coming but he knows he has nothing to worry about because Papa has his hands. He even looks over to Mom, Nana, and smiles real big and says, Nana, you got to see what's coming. You know, shouldn't we be like that as Christians in a sense? We know trials are coming today. We know they're coming tomorrow. We don't know what they're going to be. They might upset us, but we know this. God has our hands 
and we don't have anything to worry about. We can trust him because he's a thankworthy God. Let's pray. Father, thank you today during this Thanksgiving season that we can thank you for who you are. Lord, so many times we thank you for food and we thank you for friends and we thank you for family and all that, and there's nothing wrong with that. We should. But we so often forget to say, thank you, God, for who you are. Thank you for your greatness, for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, for all you've done in the past. Thank you for all you're doing now, and thank you for all you're going to do in the future. But I thank you that you are my God and my Savior. Help us to love you, Lord, because you surely love us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.